Hello and welcome to Progressive News Network. Thank you for tuning in. My name is Brooke Hines. I am your host. It is Sunday, September 20, 2020. Hmm, 2020. Uh, we have a show for you tonight. Uh, we've got Janine Moloff. Uh, At the bottom of the next hour, she's going to be talking about how Attorney General Barr is, again, regarding his uh, directive to state prosecutors to charge protesters with sedition. Uh, We have Rick Spizak calling in from the road tonight. That'll be at the top of next hour at 8 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. Um, Last week... I noticed that we had some calls in the queue. We also had a full deck of uh, content, so I couldn't take any calls. Listen, if you guys uh, call in, you can also check the chat. There's a little chat if you're looking at Blog Talk Radio. There's a chat to the side. You can click on that and type me a message. Let me know that you're in the queue or that you have a question or a comment or so on and so forth. Um, I think I've got room to take calls in after about 7.30, so we'll see if anybody calls in this week. And I do apologize for not being able to pick up last week. I hate to do that. Um, But I did leave a message for our callers in the chat just in case um, they knew to look there. So there you go. Um, have a look at that. Uh, wow, what a what a week! Oh my God, I this happened. Shit, you guys, I'm driving your car, but I just got a notification that Ruth Bader Ginsburg died. Fuck! Could this year get any fucking worse? Ruth, you just had to make it to 2021. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I think we all, you know, kind of kind of feel that. You know, it it needs to be said though. I mean, Ruth Bader Ginsburg did not need to um hang on through the Obama administration. She has said in the past that the reason why she did that was that she wanted to step down under Hillary Clinton and have Clinton appoint her successor. And yeah, that should have happened and it did, but you know, this is a, this is a case of don't count, don't count your chickens before they hatch because uh, who knows, you might not even have chickens. You could have, you could have eggs full of Donald Trump, apparently. Um, So that's happening Uh, tonight, tonight. I want to I want to touch on some of this a little bit. I want to touch on I've got a big old stack of stories here. We've got the Supreme Court issue. We've got um, well, we got Tom DeLong thinks that aliens may have been present for the birth of Jesus. So I thought that might be fun to throw in the pile. We've got COVID with uh, as regards teachers and going back to school. I've got a really interesting story I want to share with you from Truth Out that is well worth your time. Good stuff. And um, you might have missed this in case you missed it. Uh, The United States drew up a plan to drop 80 nuclear weapons on North Korea. 
<laughs> so this was reported this week in the drive. There's a there's a reporter that I like to follow at the drive. He actually writes for the War Zone. He does um uh, reporting on all kinds of weapons and that sort of thing, new planes, you know, the big toys that the military likes to play with. And I like to keep up with that because I like to keep up with what the military is doing. Um, that's just being informed. And I saw this in his Twitter feed that, yes, the United States did drop a plan to, to drop 90, no, 80 nuclear weapons on North Korea. And, um, I found that shocking. I found that a little shocking. So uh, let's get into that and a whole lot more with uh, as we get into the weekly beat. back around to the uh, North Korea nuclear weapons situation, but I want to just cut straight to the chase with all of the stuff that is going on uh, with the Supreme Court. So Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed away. Uh, It wasn't a surprise to to anyone. I know that we were all hoping that she would hang in there, Um, but I mean, she's had pancreatic cancer now for quite some time, and um, you know, we don't get to choose. We just don't get to choose when it is that that we go. And so that has left another seat open on the court. You know, Donald Trump has already appointed two Supreme Court justices. This will be his third. And I'm and I'm saying that this will be his third because I'm I'm pretty sure that he's gonna uh, be able to appoint this person and and get them through. Uh, I think if I were blue skying this as of, you know, like as of the night that it happened, I might have said, hey, maybe the, hey, maybe, you know, the Republicans held up Merrick Garland, who was, who was appointed in, I want to say it was uh, June of 2016. Um, and the Republicans disallowed that to happen. Uh, and so maybe the Democrats could pull something out of their hat similar to that. But after seeing what's been going on on the Sunday shows today and you know, reading reaction to this, I think that the, the case for that is exceedingly small. And the other option is for if... Joe Biden wins in November that he could quote unquote pack the court. <clears throat> and the idea of packing the court is uh, adding, adding some seats, keeping it an odd number of justices, but adding seats that would uh, um, create more balance, you know, because right now we, we have mostly conservative uh, justices on the court. So that's a potential that could happen, but will it? All right. 
Let's get into it. So, first thing today, Nancy Pelosi was on George Stephanopoulos' show this week, and she said she would not leverage a government shutdown. Now, that's a, a pretty specific uh, strategy there, a government showdown. But what she said is that she would not leverage a government showdown in order to slow down Republicans' push to fill the Supreme Court vacancy following the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. That's in the House. And in the Senate, you know, you got Chuck Schumer and – uh, we've got a good piece on strategies that could be used with regard to Schumer, but let's uh, let's follow this Nancy Pelosi thing to the end. Uh, she says, quote, none of us have any interest in shutting down the government that has such a harmful and shameful impact on so many people in our country. Um, asked if there was any way the Democrats could slow down the Senate Republicans, Pelosi said Sunday, quote, everyone needs to get out and vote like that's that's uh that's what you call a pivot that's not answering the question uh in other words there's nothing democrats are going to do to slow down senate republicans uh, at least from nancy pelosi's perspective Uh, and then she was pressed again because george stephanopoulos is uh doing his job uh Pressed again on what Democrats may do, Pelosi said, well, we have our options. We have arrows in our quiver um, that I'm not going to discuss right now. Uh, okay. All right. Well, so so there's that. Uh, there's more. There's more. Uh, here's, here's what it looks like the strategy is. Um, Democrats began – Discussing their options Saturday with senators, all vowing to uh, all vowing a furious fight to keep the seat vacant until next year, uh, when a new Senate convenes and when Joe Biden may occupy the White House. And there's a lot of ifs there. Um, uh, and we're not doing polling and stuff this week, so I, I mean, you just got to kind of you know draw on your own knowledge of where the polls are and how you think the campaigns are going as to whether you think uh, things are leaning towards Donald Trump this week or towards Joe Biden this week. I happen to think that, um, that we are looking at, I happen to think that, that we are looking at um, a very close race, no matter what Uh, the president thinks that, Okay, continuing on. On Sunday, Pelosi said Trump is pushing to fill Ginsburg's seat so quickly because the Supreme Court oral arguments on the Affordable Care Act begin on November 10, and that's just a little while past the election. So we vote on November the 3rd, and if you can hear in the background, those are my dogs going nuts because there's a delivery. Um, The plan seems to be that uh, there's no specific course of action that's been outlined, but Democrats said they are planning to engage an all-out battle to stop the nomination in its tracks by, get this, pressuring four Republicans to break ranks. So pressuring four Republicans to break ranks is an all-out battle to stop the nomination in its tracks, according to 
Senate Republicans or Senate Democrats. It's hard to tell the difference. Um, And then Nancy Pelosi, and I thought this was really odd. Later on, she says, the president thinks that this isn't about coronavirus. It is. Um, She thinks that the uh, Supreme Court seat has everything to do with um, eliminating the Affordable Care Act, which, yeah, it probably and it, it, it possibly does and probably does. Um, and then she so she pivots over to coronavirus, uh, which uh, it w- seemed kind of odd to me. She said the president is rushing to make some kind of decision because he uh, November 10 is when the oral arguments begin on the Affordable Care Act. He doesn't want to crush the virus. He wants to crush the Affordable Care Act. All right. Uh, yeah, sure. Donald Trump would uh, he was elected by uh, uh, running on crushing the Affordable Care Act. And so, you know, this this makes absolute sense. This is why it's important to make sure that there are people on the Supreme Court who reflect uh, the uh, will of the people and not just the will of the large corporations. Um, several Democrats have called for an expansion of the Supreme Court, and that's the, that's the court packing strategy and that's that's really interesting you know uh the supreme court has been enlarged has been made larger only once in history and that was um uh when uh president ulysses grant was elected in 1868, the number was bumped back up to nine justices after President Andrew Johnson had reduced the court to uh, seven justices. So this is, you know, we're talking the late 1800s. This is 1866 when Andrew Johnson passed the Judicial Circuits Act, and then uh, Grant's elected in 1868 bumped that number back up to nine. So this is, this is old history right here that has to do with uh, um, things having to do with the court. Uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt had a plan to pack the court. And what he wanted to do was to bump the number all the way up to 15 justices. And he did that uh, after his landslide re-election in 1936. Uh, He wanted to add one justice for every judge who had reached the age of 70. And that would have been a total of 15 at the time. Uh, Not a bad idea, but he met a lot of pushback, including from his own vice president. Uh, at the time. So that didn't happen. That was one of the few things that FDR went after that actually didn't come to pass. Now, okay, fine. But what does all that have to do with what we're, what we're doing now, who we are now, what, what kind of stuff is going on now? And um, uh, so you would have to look at what, what Biden is after. So, what would, who is Biden? What is Biden about when it comes to the Supreme Court? Do we know anything? Okay. There is an uh, article that came out in Politico um, on, yesterday that has a little bit of background here. The uh, 
uh, one of the most significant institutional voices against expanding the court, says Politico, is Joe Biden. In July 2019, Biden said, quote, we will live to rue the day if the court was expanded in a debate in 2019, so this would have been the primaries, he said it would lead to round after round of expansion and the court would, quote, lose all credibility. Uh, additionally, Senators, uh, uh, Senator Bernie Sanders is uh, not a friend of packing the court, and neither is the more moderate Michael Bennett. Uh, and if you recall, Michael Bennett was a, a staunch opponent of Medicare for All during the primaries. But Politico points out that this was before the coming war over Ruth Bader Ginsburg's seat. So, you know, maybe this changes. Maybe maybe there's some softening of Biden's position. Maybe there's some softening of Bernie Sanders' position. Maybe other senators are going to feel differently about this. I'll tell you one thing that isn't softening, and that is the uh, concern and worry about Roe v. Wade. Now, I happen to be a person who thinks that uh, Roe v. Wade and the right to um, safe and uh, private reproductive uh, medical services for women, which includes abortion, I feel like since I've been alive, which has been a long goddamn time, that we've seen those rights eroded to the point where in a lot of states you can't even find an abortion provider. So, I mean, even though the law is there on paper, it, it means pretty much nothing to someone who lives in, um, say, like Mississippi or Alabama and <clears throat> can't access a health care provider. And then the other thing that is interesting is that there's an assumption that Roe v. Wade was decided with uh, Democratic nominees, Democratic-nominated justices on the court, and that's not true. Roe v. Wade was a seven-to-two decision. That's that's. I haven't seen a seven-to-two decision in the last decade or so, but just a handful of times. So that was a lot. A seven-to-two decision and. Uh, the the one of the two dissenters was actually a Democratic appointee, so it wasn't. It was actually a a good mix of Republicans and Democrats. It was a different time um, than it is now. I don't know where any of these justices stand on this in terms, and we don't know what the particular case would be that would be in front of them to look at. Um, And I kind of feel like, especially evangelical conservatives, if they were to lose the, uh, the abortion um, issue, let me put it this way. Abortion is more valuable to evangelical conservatives and conservatives in general. It's more valuable to them as an issue that can be fought over. If it is decided in the Supreme Court that, you know, 
that uh, that Roe v. Wade is completely overturned, they lose this very valuable uh, uh, issue. You know, this is an issue that gets Republicans elected uh, over and over again, reliably, all over the place, all over the United States. And to lose that would be uh, quite a quite a uh, that would suck. That would suck for the for the Republicans for sure. Um, so it's not. Just to, just to wrap up, it's not a foregone conclusion that the Supreme Court would overturn Roe v. Wade. I think that there are a lot of political reasons why they wouldn't, even with conservative justices. Um, I do think that Donald Trump is most likely going to wind up trying to appoint someone, probably in a lame duck session, uh, if he loses, and... Um, and if he wins, then he's definitely going to be appointing someone. Uh, as FDR's scheme showed, court packing doesn't have to be as simple as just elevating additional justices to, to the court. There are several al- alternatives that have been debated in legal and academic circles, ranging from giving each political party – this is a this is an interesting idea right here um, – And, you know, should Joe Biden win, maybe this is something that gets talked about. Uh, The idea is to give each political party five justices um, who would choose five more uh, to eliminating to limiting the terms of justices so that every president gets two picks. So every president, every time a president is elected, they get to put two justices on the court, making and then making all 180 federal appeals court justices member of the members of the court with panels of nine chosen at random to rule over all matters, including which cases the court would take up. So there's been a lot of ideas on the table, a lot of creative ideas on the table for. Uh, creating a more uh, democratic court, you might say, or a court that is more um, uh, uh, light on its toes, you could say. I I really like the idea of making all 180 federal appeals court judges a member of the court and doing this kind of ad hoc thing where panels of nine are chosen at random uh, to rule on manners matters and also to decide which man matters i can't talk tonight uh to decide which matters the course will take up i think that the court will take up i think that that's a really interesting idea and i hadn't seen that until i started uh prepping for the show earlier this week now david sirota has a new uh, little journalistic. Oh, that is so belittling. It's not little. He has started a pretty fantastic new uh, subscription service called TMI for too much information. And he's pulled over some really good uh, uh, journalists to work with him. This piece right here is David Sirota and Andrew Perez. Andrew Perez used to work with Maplight and um, and Fair, I think. I see him around Twitter all the time. Uh, really great guy. 
they have a piece up called uh, primary. It says primary Schumer to guarantee opposition to Trump's SCOTUS pick. Now this is a this is a really interesting political strategy that he's putting forward here. So Sirota and Perez are saying that we need to pressure Chuck Schumer right now, right this minute, and we need to pressure him uh, with another pick, you know, with, with somebody who's who's going to run against him and run a credible election or primary against him should he uh, go soft on the Supreme Court issue. So let's 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 crack this open and and look a little bit. Uh, first, he says um, a serious New York Democratic candidate needs to step up and announce a 2022 primary challenge to Chuck Schumer, who is who already has a record of helping fast track Donald Trump's judicial appointments. This is really important, as a matter of fact, because it looks it, it looks like Chuck Schumer cut a deal with Donald Trump at some point uh, to fast track these judicial judicial appointments uh, and not just the Supreme Court appointments. It's been all of the appointments. Uh, we know that Schumer Schumer Schumer. <laughs> We know that Schumer needs that kind of pressure because, as Vox reported in 2018, he agreed to, quote, fast track the confirmations of 15 Trump-nominated judicial picks. Additionally, under Schumer's leadership, members of the Democratic caucus provided votes to confirm Trump's two previous judges, Neil Gorsuch and Brent Kavanaugh. We know that Democrats have periodically voted to install Trump judges in the lower court. So there's, there's been, this is not anything new. We, we've been talking for quite some time about uh, why is the Senate bending to Trump's will on this? Uh, Sirota and Perez are putting forth an idea that goes way beyond pressuring Chuck Schumer with phone calls and protests, not this, regular kind of political pressure that that we're familiar with what they're saying is let's primary the guy and it needs to be credible and in new york there are there is no um shortage of of democrats with a lot of money and a lot of credibility who could mount a credible challenge to chuck schumer uh Schumer controls the party apparatus and its fundraising machine. If his excuse is he can't do anything, then he mustn't be leader. Uh, He seems to be setting up, and Pelosi seems to be backing up the idea that uh, that there's just really nothing that we'd be able to do about the Supreme Court, blah, 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 blah. You know, and, and remember that, that Merrick Garland was, uh, you know, all that stuff that happened at um, – at the end of, or in the last year of Barack Obama's uh, second term, it wasn't like the Republicans were cutting any slack for Obama. They went, they went after him hammer and tongs. And it didn't require any kind of shutdown of government either, because there's a lot of things that you can do in the Senate to grind it to a halt. And they did a lot of those things. So the Senate runs on a unanimous consent system, which basically means that to do its most basic functions, all senators must consent 
Like everybody has to say, yeah, we're, we're, we're on board. Let's take that up. Uh, in this situation, Senate Democrats have used the legal power to use the system to grind, uh, uh, in, a, in, in essence, are saying, you, you guys need to use that. And here's the ways that they can use that. They can refuse to grant unanimous consent for all the small things. They can force a reading of entire bills aloud. They can hold up the federal budget that the government needs to run on. That is a form of uh, shutting down government. And that is what Pelosi mentioned that she is totally against. So, uh, you know, they're not leaning towards that option right now, but that's definitely something that they could do. It's within their power. Uh, they can use these tactics to try to push back any confirmation hearings on a potential nominee, and they can try to do these things at least until the next president is installed, all while reminding the public of the hypocrisy of GOP senators who said they would not try to install a judge during an election year. That's what the whole Merrick Garland thing was about during uh, Barack Obama's late second term was uh, all of a sudden the Republicans were like, Oh, well, six months or a year or whatever. That's, that's a, that's too much into an election year. And we can't not uh, appoint a judge with a, uh, during an election year, because that would be unseemly. Like as if Republicans give a hoot about what's unseemly or not. Um, so there's some, this is a really good piece. Go and check it out. Uh, there's some moving pieces here. You know, there's a, a special election to fill uh, John McCain's seat. If Mark Kelly wins that race, then that's uh, that'll be decided in November, and that puts another Democrat in the uh, in the Senate. Which means instead of needing to turn four Republicans, they would only need to uh, turn three Republicans. Who knows? Maybe they've got. I don't I don't understand why you wouldn't, but maybe they've got some incriminating information on some of these guys. Wouldn't that be nice to see our team actually play hardball for once? Um, if Republicans still go forward with an appointment, then all of this becomes the justification for Democrats to immediately pass legislation in the new Congress to expand the court. Again, assuming that Joe Biden wins, if they push through a nominee in a lame duck session, we got to go nuclear on that. We got to we got to push back on that in the strongest possible way. Um, and then Sirota, you know, while it seems like well, it seems like this kind of pressure may or may not play with with people. Um, Will it have an effect on Chuck Schumer? Is this the kind of thing that an elected uh, senator or member of the House of Representatives, is that something they would even respond to? And David Sirota gives a really good example of how it's been successful in the past. So in 2010, Arkansas Democrat uh, Blanche Lincoln, and some of my listeners might remember this, Blanche Lincoln faced a progressive primary challenge and all out of nowhere, she shifted from being a reliable Wall Street ally into a populist who championed a crackdown on the derivatives that blew up the global economy and the financial crisis. 
So she did a 180-degree turn, and then get this. Um, as the Wall Street Journal noted at the time, she shifted because she knew she could pay an electoral price at home if she didn't. That's what she told the Wall Street Journal. Uh, thank you, David Sirota, for putting that piece out and for making all of this uh, um, kind of make sense. Just to you know, put a put a bow on this. I want to say um, there's a lot that when the Republicans are in the minority, it seems like they can do just everything they want. Uh, when the Democrats are in the minority, it seems like our answer is like, oh, we just have to roll over for everything. And um, I don't believe Republicans have any special magical power that grants them the ability to fight back when they're in the minority and we don't. It's just that um, they are responding to their voters in a way that Democrats don't respond to their voters. All right, we're going to take a short break and be right back. Okay, I'm going to check and see if there's any callers here in a second, but it, since I already teased this story, I do need to uh, follow up on this. Uh, about those 80 nuclear weapons we we're going to sh- drop on North Korea, where does this come from? Well, it comes from uh, Bob Woodward's book. Um, uh, here's a particular quote. It says, uh, quote, the strategic command in Omaha." in Omaha, had carefully reviewed and studied O-Plan 5027 for regime change in North Korea, uh, the United States' response to an attack that could include the use of 80 nuclear weapons. So there's two things in this statement that was reported in Bob Woodward's book, uh, which is called Rage. Uh, First, he says uh, that this is a a plan for regime change. And then it, there's, there's a, an M dash and the, the uh, quote is modified by saying the U S response to an attack that could include the use of 80 nuclear weapons. In other words, uh, they're softening the idea of regime change to uh, well, it wouldn't be just like a first strike. It'd be like if they did something else, we would respond to it. Um, the person in charge at the time, this would have been in, um, I believe this is 2018, and it was uh, U.S. Defense uh, Secretary James Mattis, Mad Dog Mattis. Uh, so he was the one who drew up these plans and, uh, he's, he's, uh, you know, I think that he earned his, his name, Mad Dog. Uh, I, I, I think he comes about that, uh, honestly. 
Trump had delegated authority to Jim Mattis to launch a conventionally armed uh, interceptor missile attack to shoot down any North Korean missile that might be headed to the United States. So this is the this is the first part of this scenario. If a conventional uh, if a nuclear weapon if, if a missile was headed to the United States, Mattis could shoot any conventional weapon that he wanted to to intercept it to bring it down. Um, uh, Mattis at the time, as reported in this story in the drive in the war zone by Tyler Rogaway, uh, wait a minute, is it Tyler? No, it's Joseph Trevetkik. Trevetkik? Um, I'm saying that wrong and I apologize. Uh, Mad Dog Mattis's level of concern about North Korea at the time. And this is 20, August 29, 2017. It was so high at the time that he slept in his gym clothes, Woodward claims. Um, he said that there was a light in his bathroom. If he was in the shower and they detected a North Korean launch, apparently this light in his bathroom would, would flash at him. Um, that doesn't seem pleasant, does it? None of this seems pleasant. There's another little tidbit in this article that I think is worth sharing. Aside from, you know, the, the uh, you know, butt-puckering scariness of 80 nuclear bombs being dropped on a very small country on the other side of the world, uh, that, uh, that the Secretary of Defense, in this case it was Mattis, travels around with an SUV that follows him that allows for full communications and full ability to manipulate the nuclear arsenal. So he can essentially, the idea of a football is kind of quaint. It's not like, it's not like, um, uh, it's not like it is in the movies. There's a lot more to it. You know, there's, there's this whole SUV worth of stuff. There's the secretary of defense who's, who's in on things. And, um, this article seems to suggest that Mattis was empowered to jump in his little nuclear SUV there and um, respond in any way he saw fit to uh, to to an attack. I mean, you know, this is what we this is why we have a Secretary of Defense and so on and so forth. But you know, just so you know, the um, the stories about there being a nuclear football and there's two guys and a missile silo and they both have to turn the key and all of that. That's not quite the way it is. That's, that's Hollywood. That's from the movies. Things have, things have changed since, since way back then. Um, real quick. I mentioned Tom DeLong. Tom DeLong thinks aliens may have been present at the birth of Jesus. So, um, yeah, from the uh, sublime to the ridiculous, we've got, you know, 80 nuclear bombs dropping on somebody uh, on North Korea. Uh, and then we've got Tom DeLong over here who, in my mind, it, Tom DeLong occupies the same part of my brain that uh, – that, nuclear war does because his interest in uh, unidentified aerial phenomena, UAPs and UFOs, seems to be very much geared towards 
security and protection. And uh, his concern seems to be that these spaceships are going to uh, attack us. That's that's why he's been going, and the to the Stars Academy that that he helped form have been talking to the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence to have some language written into the Intelligence Authorization Act that would um, help declassify some of the information with regard to UFOs. Now, here's here's exactly what. Tom DeLong said, this is an article in altpress.com, something that was shared over and over on UFO Twitter, which is where I picked it up. He says, uh, with regard to this uh, UFOs and Jesus situation, he says, the star of Bethlehem, was that a star or a craft? Because a star is really big, and it wouldn't be hovering over a manger. (laughs) Um okay, yeah, all right. I I I'm down with that. Yeah, a star wouldn't hover over a manger. That's that's right. Exactly. It wouldn't. Um I don't know if it's aliens though. And uh Tom DeLong continues. He says, quote, anybody can go on the CIA website and read thousands of reports. There's uh, just a vacuum of our conversation. Our government has had decades of the very difficult burden of dealing with something that is extremely advanced but poorly understood. They need time to dig into this, to understand it, to gather data, and to analyze it. Well, I guess so, especially if there's there's aliens hanging around with with, uh, J.C., um, this article is part of just a little meta here. This article is part of the public relations that to the stars Academy does to stay out in front of peace people. Um, and to make sure that their uh, to make sure that, that their version of stuff is getting across. So he puts out these little tidbits. Now this is, you know, I I just want to, I just want to say, like anybody can come along, and people have been doing this for years on the show Ancient Aliens and so on and so forth, and speculating about archaeology and and certain this and that. My sense of To the Stars Academy has always been that they were at least positioning themselves publicly as being hard science and uh, being prepared to back up what they're doing with, uh, with science. And this just seems really weird to me, just like out of left field. So, uh, so I don't know, keep an eye on it. He says uh to wrap up, he says, quote, I can't say much. Yeah, I can't say much. I can I can only, you know, bait the hook and put the whole Jesus aliens thing out there. But then he says, I can't say much. But I do know there have been moments when certain presidents have come close. And by close, he means to acknowledging the existence of life beyond Earth. Um, 
the issue always becomes how are people going to digest this if we hit them over the head with a giant sledgehammer? Well, don't hit people with a giant sledgehammer. Um, that's scary for people in the Pentagon when they're trying to keep civilization duct taped together. I love that. I love that. Um, I think that that is actually the uh, best line of the whole article, that the that the Pentagon – did he say the Pentagon? That the Pentagon is keeping civilization duct taped together. I knew somebody was was duct taping things. I didn't realize it was the Pentagon, but uh, I guess that's uh, I guess that's who it is. Um, it looks like we have a color. I'm going to bring the color on. Uh, I've got two other little stories, but let's see what let's see what this color three two one. Hello, caller three two one. What's up with you? What do you want to talk about? Hey, great show. Just uh, just calling in to uh, say hi and uh, tell you uh, uh, enjoying, as always, uh, listening to your thoughts of the day. Well, thank you. Thank you. So, I love you know, the alien we, stuff. Uh, you love the alien stuff. Thank you. Well, I do. You That's know, one of my favorites. I'm so glad because I like... You know, I keep my head in politics like all the time, and I think that you, you really need to uh, to look away from that from time to time. We're getting some um, background noise, caller. Hello, that caller. That can't be me. I'm standing in a silent room. Okay, good. Um, so, yeah. So, I think that. It's it's healthy to draw upon you know to, keep, to 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 put your head in some other areas and to to read some fun stuff and to you know just not not be a hundred percent you know with your head in politics all the time. Yeah, a hundred percent, absolutely. But I mean, uh, there's you know there's lots of stuff going on. I mean, I, what are what are what are your other thoughts? I mean. Uh, God, everything is crazy, right? Um, does the whole TikTok thing? What do you think of that? Well, it. Well, I'm really glad that it didn't actually get shut down because I think that there would be a lot of uh, a, a lot of people would be very upset about that. TikTok is super popular, and people love it. It didn't seem like people have been like recognizing enough that you know there was some discussion about this app and on the basis that it's based in China and it collects a lot of personal information and maybe that's a security risk. It's China, blah blah blah. But it really took off, and a few people have noticed. I noticed that Forbes uh, had an article recently that <laughs> this you know I'm going to shut it down decree. Trump's doing this kind of stuff all the time. Or I'm going to I'm going to wield executive power in a way that maybe isn't legal and we'll just see if it works or not, you know, just kind of shooting from his, uh, you know, semi-criminal hip all the time. But it always took, it really took off when uh, all those TikTok K-pop stands kind of um, pranked him uh, regarding the Tulsa rally. You remember all that noise where they, they made him think there were like a million reservations for this arena and it turned, and his, his PR flax were like, you know, sending it out there. Oh my gosh, we're turning people away. We'll probably have to cut it down to, you know, fifty thousand or something. And then like, eh, I think four thousand people showed up or something. It was small. 
Uh, and he got, I think he got really embarrassed. And this is a guy who, you know, if, if he's personally embarrassed, he's just going to vindictively go after whatever it is. So I, I, I really think people are underestimating, if anything, how much that drove all of this. And of course he's, he's kind of getting something. And I think what they've had to do is agree to have like Oracle or somebody uh, host their servers, look over their security or whatever. Um, but yeah, they, they were they announced, pushing back on. Yeah, go ahead. They announced Oracle and Walmart, which makes absolutely no sense to me. Why does Walmart, Walmart <laughs> what does that have to do with anything? What, why would they even be in on this deal? Oh, New York Tandon will be happy. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, it just seems like it, it's just, you, I mean, you know what this guy's style is, and, I, you know, it's tiresome to talk about it. And, I, I frankly, I get tired of everybody talking about fashion, blah, 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 and all the things that are wrong, uh, you know, don't come from him. He just happens to be a buffoon with absolutely no scruples and very little confidence. But uh, I, I tell you what he's got is a lot of tenaciousness, a lot of perseverance. He is he is the jerk that will not leave you alone until he exhausts you. And mm-hmm. I think this is the way this person gets what he wants. And I think in this TikTok thing, you know, well, this is illegal. You probably can't shut down this massive, you know, business situation on the basis of national security when they're, especially when they were already rolling over and saying, you can look at our servers and you can triple check everything. Uh, you wonder what really went on and what the real result is. They just carve part of this thing up and give it to, you know, corporate America, or are the intelligence services involved? And what TikTok's going to be now is not China spying on you. <laughs> and, and to be frank, when is China spying on American citizens been the problem? It's it's America spying on you. So you got, I, I wonder how all that is shaken out and what's going to happen to all those uh, all those user accounts and all their data and whose hands they're really going to be in now. That's a really interesting point. I mean, because to me, well, first of all, the, uh, the people that Facebook has people's entire life story, you know, from cradle to the grave, basically people who have been on Facebook, you know, sharing photos and information about the births of their children, the deaths of family members, uh, important stuff that happened to them in high school, you know, on and on and on and on and on. And I, I don't think that any kind of uh, conversation about TikTok is credible in light of how much data is being sucked up and has been sucked up forever by Facebook and Instagram, which are basically the same thing. I think it's going to be years before people are, I think are just starting to realize, you know, Facebook was, like you said, it was vacation pictures and, and, uh, and birth announcements and all this stuff. And we find out that, no, they weren't just kind of collecting a little data on the side. I mean, they were being as invasive and as, and as insidious as they could possibly be and absolutely monetizing every minute detail of everyone's life without telling them or giving, getting permission or giving people the opportunity to opt out or any of that. And uh, you're right. It dwarfs anything that, you know, some, some Chinese, you know, uh, a K-pop fan, you know, app, although, you know, very big, I understand. I think they have like, like half a million users or something like that. It's nothing like the size of Facebook though. Right. I mean, weren't they looking for like a billion 
uh, users or something at one right. point. So, I mean, good point. We're so worried about privacy, but, it, you know, our experience as Americans has been, it's not, you know, it's not the foreigners coming in. Uh, mm. You know, I won't get back into the whole Russia thing, but, it, you know, it's not the foreigners coming in and messing with us. It's us. It's our people. It's corporate America and the intelligence services. And, you know, none of that is hysteria or conspiracy. It's stuff that's come out in the news. So we, we know that at this point, and it's very interesting uh, the way we pretend otherwise. Uh, absolutely. And, you know, there's there's some indication that uh, early on Facebook had help with uh, intelligence agencies. And I this is the part of the show where I encourage people to pick up Yasha Levine's uh, book, Silicon... Oh shit! Now I can't remember. Now I can't That'd remember the name of it. Uh, and I'm have to look at my Kindle. Hold on. I want to say Silicon Insurgency, and that's like so wrong. <laughs> yeah, Yash Levine is amazing. He did a. Uh, a is it Surveillance Valley by chance? Thank you, Surveillance Valley. Good God. I am having one of those days where word finding and, you know, not a good time to be doing a uh, podcast, but like my brain is going, here's the word. I'm not giving it to you now. Ha ha. (laughs) But Yash Levine is, is such a good writer and he did Surveillance Valley. It is absolutely critical to understand what's going on with uh, social media. And then this week, just as a bonus, um, he did he did a really long piece that talked about the history of Matt Taibbi with um with this whole cancel culture thing because Yash Levine, Mark Ames, and Matt Taibbi all worked on a publication called The Exile uh, at one point. Right, uh, right, 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 and well, there was a Russia. point. When they were in Russia, now, I'm, actually Yasha might not have worked on it in Russia. I think he he worked on some of it back here in the U.S. when they when they stopped publishing over there. You know, they got kicked out of Russia by uh, by uh, Putin. So, uh, do you remember when all of that uh, smear tactics were happening against Matt Taibbi? He was getting ready to put out a book. I think it was the "I Can't Breathe" book. And all of these people started going after him about the stuff that was satire. They were writing satire in the in the exile, and they went after him. And instead of instead of standing up for the publication, he 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 said it, or saying that it was satire, or you know making a making a case for. Making a case against cancel culture instead of doing that, instead of standing up for himself, instead of like, you know, doing all the things that he's very angry about right now, he um, he he basically blamed Mark Ames. <laughs> he basically blamed his 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 coworker, and so Yasha Levine, you know, spills all the tea. I mean, you know, if you want to, if you want to, uh. uh if you like that sort of thing, and I think from time to time, just like with the UFOs, sometimes it's it's fun to uh, turn your attention from uh, straight up politics and you know indulge a little bit of something else. Just put some other information in your head, and 
that's that's kind of how I file this this sort of thing. But yeah, Absolutely. Yasha would track him out. Yasha's actually a Russian immigrant, I think. So I think he yes. probably he probably did live there at some point because I think he's from there. I think he's I think he's I think he is Russian. Uh, yep. And I don't know what's going on with Matt Taibbi either in his cancel culture crusade. It seemed to, yeah, I think you've talked about it on the show. It seemed to start with the whole thing with Lee Fung, and um, it just it's just gotten weirder from there. I don't I don't know what kind of crusade he's on, but it's not doing him any good, and it's it's kind of off putting for people like me who really enjoy his writing and his point of view, by and large. Yeah, and I've been putting off writing about it because I find it tedious, but uh, I'm pretty inspired by Yasha Levine's piece. And so the, the, the piece that I've taken notes on is uh, just a very basic you know, critical analysis of what it is that Taibbi has put out there. Because I think that um, my sense is that as I've read through this, Stuff as it came out piece by piece that there are some real big holes in logic and there's some uh, jumping to conclusions, there's ignoring Occam's razor, there's just a lot of bad reasoning and uh, and so I yeah, think absolutely. that I'm not, I'm not as deep as you are but it seems to me like he's been sort of deliberately obtuse I guess would be the main thing wrong with the way he's talking about cancel culture all of a sudden and uh, misunderstanding the difference between punching down and punching up, which is, you know, kind of critical to all these discussions is, you know, is it, <laughs> you know, is it the powerful institution smashing someone for not, for not getting in line? And that's not the same as, you know, sort of the, the country or the culture writ large rising up against something that, you know, offensive, distasteful or dangerous, you know, the, the little people, if you will, like kind of coming up and saying, we're not, we're not going to tolerate this. Isn't that's not the same kind of, that's not the same kind of danger. It's not fraught in the same way, you know, and he seems particularly worried about academics and academia um, twisting itself into knots. And I, I don't know. I think, I think he's either deliberately missing a lot of the points or he's just missing the point, but it almost seemed like something set him off. Yes. And, um, and he kind of took off down this path and he's, He's he's standing at the bottom of a hole with a shovel that he probably ought to put down. <laughs> That's a good way of putting it. That is an as, awesome way. As of your friend it. Rick would say, yeah. <laughs> Speaking of Rick, I think we might have uh, Rick teed up and ready to uh, join us at the top of the hour. Uh, so, is there anything else, caller, that uh, you wanted to bring up? Well, I don't know. You've been so nice letting me uh, uh, talk on air and everything. I mean, I, I, what are you watching on television? I know you were big into uh, Lovecraft Country, and that's very politically fraught and interesting. I'm watching that, too. Oh, um, my God. Are if, you watching... if listeners are not watching Lovecraft Country, you've got to watch Lovecraft Country because it's it's everything. It's, cool. it's It's got great politics, and it's just really good storytelling. And are you uh, if you if you're watching anything on HBO? Are you watching about that uh, that that Nexium sort of self improvement slash sex cult thing with that uh, uh, Rainier guy? I think was the name of the guru, and they all you know they all Rainier A. Allison Mack, who was 
Renere, yeah. right. And like uh, that woman who was like third banana on the Smallville show years ago, Allison Mack was sort of like a big leader. And she, it's just an unbelievable story where these where these women ended up getting these horrible brands put on them and all that. Are, it, it's it's quite a story. And it's uh, I find all that, you know, the dynamics of cults, especially in America, where, you know, we feel like we're uh, so educated and prepared and know better. Uh, or maybe that's a silly thing to say because obviously we're not and we don't. <laughs> well, life imitates <laughs> but it's a life dynamic. Life imitates art imitating life. So there's another show, <laughs> and I'm not sure what what channel it's on. If it's HBO or what, but it's it's The Boys, and in The Boys there is a group that is. So to me, Nexium is is like a. Um, Scientology light, you know. It, it, oh, absolutely! Or he stole it's, from it's, it's Scientology. Of, yeah, it's clear in the show. Absolutely. And they show in this other show, the the, the boys. There's a there's this whole arc about about a uh, a hero that falls out of grace, and to to get back in with things, he has to join the Scientology slash Nexium group to get his groove back, <laughs> and you know prove that he's a good guy or whatever. And it's it's awesome. I think that's Amazon thing. Prime. I've I've seen that show too. That's a good show. Amazon Prime. Okay, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty sure. And listen. We need hello Amazon Prime. We could definitely use some sponsorship here. And as evil as you are, um, oh great, yeah. That's I promote work. a lot of books that talk about how evil <laughs> Amazon <laughs> is, so they ought to be a sponsor. All right, caller. Well, thank you so much for calling in and uh, uh, watch Lovecraft Country tonight. I think Nexium might also be on tonight, so check it out. Uh, Also, and anyone listening, check it out. Thank you so much for calling in. And I had another caller who I lost because it was just he called in really early in the show. It's like ten or twelve minutes into the show or something. And I'm sorry, I missed you. But um, but thank you, three two one caller, and uh, we're gonna take a short break, and we'll be back with Rick Spizak. All right, I think I get Rick Spizak on the line. Is that Rick? Good evening, my dear. Good evening, good evening. Oh, it's so good to hear your voice. I understand that you... Well, thank you, you, my dear. I understand that you are up in my old neck of the woods, up in uh, East Tennessee and Western North Carolina. So tell me what it's like. I'm just dying to know. What's the weather like? What's it like up there? Oh, it is chilly 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 it's 51 degrees here on the mountain called oh Cherokee oh. and it is a delight a pine forest it. and oak forest surround me and uh, it is a real pleasure to join you on PNN my dear you're doing a splendid job 
Why, thank you. Uh, wow. So um, it, it's like the news is actually doing all the work for me. Uh, there's an embarrassment of riches. <laughs> you know? Yes, so much of, of Trumpeteria and uh, the Trumparium keeps us guessing, keeps us hopping. But I, I want to start on a somber note. I do want to say it first. May the goddess bless Ruth Bader Ginsburg mm-hmm. and Kevin Zeese and a Florida regional activist, a guy named Jack Lieberman, uh, who've all recently left us. And since uh, autumn is harvest time, these fine souls have done good work while they were here. And, and we have to thank them. None of them, of course, are perfect. Goodness knows. But they've done good work with the time they had, and uh, may our ancestors receive them with open arms. And, of course, speaking of ancestors, we have to also remember the 200,000-plus who have died unnecessarily for the glory of Donald Trump. And Mm -hmm. that is a sad, sad thing. And I want to do one more sad thing before we go on to something better. I want to mention that uh, police extrajudicial murders uh, are in Florida as well. Uh, Recently, a young uh, father from the migrant community was slain by a police officer who decided, you know, judge, jury, executioner, right there, boom, boom, boom. So, yeah, this is something we have to combat. I don't care who gets elected president. I don't care if it was the most liberal man we could possibly imagine. Someone far, far, far to the left of even Brother Bernie. But we must change police culture. They're mm-hmm. not going to do it. We have to do it. And speaking of police culture, I've got an interesting regional report to mention that 32 police officers have resigned in Asheville, North Carolina, because, you know, people are, are trying to change their ways and they just won't stand for it. Well, I say, <laughs> like John McLaughlin, bye-bye. <laughs> uh, on, on a funnier front, uh, we're all hoping that there's some honest Republicans who do understand the word hypocrisy. Now, I, I, I'm reminded that that's a long shot, and it's not likely, but mm-hmm. I do believe there are good people even found among the R's and that somehow they will find enough spine to stand up to these goddamn bastards mm-hmm. who have stolen our democracy. On another yeah, we, front, I do yes. also – go ahead. No, go ahead. Okay. I was also going to mention that it seems that the acting DHS chief, Chad Wolf, has a deaf ear to uh, subpoenas. And uh, – I tell you, I hope that the Democrats find some, speaking of spine, find some spine and don't let those bastards get away with more of that stuff. And <laughs> I also want to do a brief book report. I've been reading the new Trump book by John Dean, Authoritarianism. I got to tell you, <laughs> no matter what you imagined Trump is, oh my God. They spent the first uh, part of the book talking about Trump. That he was a he was a creep when he was a kid. 
He was a kid that was banned from one birthday party after another because, you know what, if it wasn't his birthday party, he'd wreck the party. He'd grab the cake. He threw it on people. He smeared it on people. He had a thug gang in elementary school. When he was sent away from military to military school, you know, supposedly to straighten him out. Check this out. He was so image conscious that the son of a bitch had his parents pay debutantes to be his nominal dates. Not that he knew them, not that he engaged them, not that he had anything else to do with them, but he squired them around. Imagine needing the hit so bad that your parents would pay dates to seem like they were your dates. Amazing. And, of course, now (laughs) I got to the book where they're talking about the Trump followers. (laughs) It doesn't get any prettier. But – I am going to do something I've never done before. I am going to predict that Donald Trump is going to lose. Now, you may call it wish fulfillment, but I I do believe that Mr. Trump is going to lose. Now, of course, his minions are going to seethe, but I think they're going to murmur. So please take me to task, and you may offer me celebratory champagne Come November, but I predict it. We will all be cracking open some champagne if he loses. <laughs> in, when when he loses in November, um, for sure, <laughs> for sure. Uh, you, it, 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 that will be quite a night. I mean, I'm sure we're all going to be watching, uh, biting our nails, and uh, you know, have that bottle of champagne ready to pop open uh, at the appropriate moment. And hopefully we will get that so, moment. <clears throat> what right-wing coup do you think they're going to try to stick in uh, the good judge's seat? You know, one of these radio jock uh, shock women, uh, you know, someone, uh, Michelle Malkin, uh, <laughs> someone, someone. Well, he said it was going to be a woman. Attila. Yeah, it's going to yeah. be a woman. So, whoa. <laughs> there you go. He, he 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 just did a uh, a big interview with her. As a matter of fact, huh? Mm. Yeah, I can see, yeah. I can actually see him pulling from like the Fox News kind of yeah, orbit. She played one on TV. You know? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And, and even <laughs> as far as he's concerned. Looks- she look is important. <laughs> Good God, we're we we the, the United States has turned into. I mean, this is basically what's been going on in Bolivia right now. Uh, this is kind of authoritarian, uh, tin pot dictator stuff. Yeah. So I thought you yeah, might be aware. Of, I thought you might be aware of this. Uh, just this week, uh, my husband read, came across a story about the Doomsday Glacier, the Thwaites Glacier in Antarctica. Mm-hmm. And there's mm-hmm. been stories circulating mm-hmm. about it for some time that yep. if that goes and it's it's not looking good, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's not getting any cooler down there. Um, right. If that goes, it, it's it's the size of five Manhattans. 
being dumped into the ocean and that that could have a a significant impact on sea level rise. And so that got me and Jay talking about, uh, yeah, maybe it's a good time to look for a place up in the mountains. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you'll always be welcome at our place. Excellent, excellent. Well, there, 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 there might be more of us up there. It, it is certain point. Um, well, yeah, we are, we are yeah. certainly. Uh, I miss the weather. I miss that there are seasons. Uh, fall and spring are just so beautiful there. And when you get a snow, it's, uh, it's, um, it's a good kind of snow. It's, it's enough to. You know, shut things down for a little while, but not cripple you. Uh, if you get an ice storm, that's that's kind of crippling. That's that's a different story. But um, but this Doomsday Glacier, Jay read about it, and um, and then that got me reading about it. And you know what? Yeah. What an insane! Like we can't comprehend how much water that is we can't comprehend how that would change coastlines worldwide and it's not just miami it's all up nope. the eastern seaboard uh, from, you know from what i i think it's something like 40 percent of the human population is in coastal areas and it's going to be the, the impact is global uh, i've heard a bunch of different numbers bandied about uh, I heard an eight-foot rise by 2040 if things go well, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and it, it could be dramatic. And you know, we we many Floridians used to joke about Orlando beaches, but um, it, it the last marine engineer I talked to places that uh, shoreline much much further north. So, um, you know, uh, the subterranean city of Miami, uh, the uh, the lost city of Miami, maybe uh, within our our uh, ken. You know, uh, let's let's hope not. Goodness knows. Let's hope not. Um, let's hope that Donald Trump is the worst catastrophe we get visited on. But uh, you know, I still see. I'm sure you do. Uh, the scoffers. Uh, the people walk around without masks on and, mm. uh, you know, the toll just keeps increasing. Uh, they're mandatory. Mm. Masks are mandatory up here. But I would say a good, healthy, well, <laughs> bad choice of words, <laughs> 20% of the people I see walk around, no masks at all. None. None. Well, I have a, I have a friend <laughs> who works in um, kind of a healthcare adjacent uh, um, capacity up there in East Tennessee. And uh, so it's a, it's a place where, where people come in for appointments and they didn't do mandatory masks until like just recently. So they've, they've gone the whole pandemic uh, until just like the last couple of weeks without mandating masks at a, at a healthcare facility. Essentially, I mean, it's not like the hospital. It's it's a right. office to the side. Just unbelievable. And you know, you you mentioned that that we're up around two hundred thousand now. Two hundred thousand people dead. That's in about four months because we hit a hundred thousand right around June one, and we're right at the end right. of September. So, 
you know, there was a there was a slow rise in the in the spring because we were aware of it in January. It didn't really hit here until March ish, um, and then when it hit, it, it hit really hard. So let's see, March, April, June. Uh, I counted five months because we knew from from January that that this could could be a problem. So five months to get to a hundred thousand, four months to get to 200,000. Does that mean it's going to be three months to get to 400,000? I mean, is that the way these numbers are going to shake out? I certainly hope not. Yeah. Thing is that, you know, you have to be aware if you if you want, if, if you want to think about it seriously, that the number of reported cases and the number of actual cases I've I've heard the actual cases are doubled, and mm-hmm. what you have to you know we have to realize that when these numbers go through the stratosphere like that, that you know the impacts across industries, the impacts across the economy, the impacts across education, are are you know just doubling and doubling and doubling. You know, colleges that are opening are seeing massive infection rates. Schools that are opening are seeing infection rates rise uh, until some sensible understanding of what's going on begins to take hold. Um, you know, we could see considerably more. And, and these just insane dates that, the, that Mr. Trump is announcing that when the vaccine will be available, you know, you can yell and scream and fire all the people at the CDC if you want to, but scientists understand that vaccines aren't done in three months. It's just stupid. And, and it shouldn't the be done. Who believe that are, are, you know, and, and of course, then you hear the, the anti-vaxxer contingent then becomes quintupled because uh-huh. no one believes that. And, right. You know, so then the anti-vaxxers who say, I told you so, I'm not taking anything. And then, oh, boy, that's good for us. Um, I do want to mention one more thing while I'm with you. Uh, there was a ruling, a three-judge panel ruled that the hell with the protections of journalists and legal observers. You know, last week, federal judge Michael Simon ruled that journalists and legal observers were exempt from federal officers' physical force arrest or other treatment if the officers reasonably know that a person is a journalist. But to one decision – Judges on the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals agreed with the government that Judge Simon's initial ruling was too broad. What protect journalists? Given the order, breadth, and lack of clarity, particularly in its non-exclusive indica of who qualifies as a journalist and legal observer, appellants have also demonstrated that in the absence of a state, the order will cause irreparable harm to law enforcement efforts and personnel. Because, you know, of course, all those press people are attacking the cops. Two of the three judges wrote, this means that journalists could be subjected to the same physical force as that of individuals participating. And, you know, of course, the sonic weapons, the heat weapons, the neurological disruption weapons that they're rolling out now, they're going to be able to say, hey, this is this is even better than rubber bullets. It doesn't cause a welt. It just destroys your nervous system. What a great improvement. Wow. Wow. Well, you know, I have a story right in front of me uh, from Truthout, and it's a, 
it's an excerpt from a, a long form interview and it says life in the U.S. has the hallmarks of low grade of a low grade war zone. And so this is yeah. a um, this is an interview with uh, uh, someone who was a non embedded journalist. So he was a, a real journalist <laughs> in the Iraq war. Yeah. And uh, it and this and, and they're talking about the. Uh, protests here in the United States and the way things are kind of shaping up. And so they're saying, um, uh, it's, uh, let's see, it says, uh, we are now living in a low-grade war zone in this country. If you go to any of these Black Lives Matter protests on any given day, at least subconsciously, you know you could die. A white nationalist could show up in a car and drive through a car with, with drive through a demonstration with this car or show up with an AR 15 and just go off. You could get COVID-19. I mean, there are multiple threats to your health right now. Understand the psychic trauma and the psychic stress that we're all living on, under in this country at this time. Meanwhile, the empire is essentially in its last stage. And you can see American empire. This is where, right. This is where it eats itself and starts attacking its own citizens. And that's his description yeah. of what he saw in, in Iraq, you know, and, and other places where, where they uh, were, you know, suffering a, um, a collapse. It's going to be an interesting season, that's for sure. It is. It well, absolutely is. Thank you so very much. For your time tonight it's been a real joy talking with you again and my f- regards to your family please stay safe uh, we're up here uh, searching for the next uh, the next lab <laughs> the next uh, the next uh, studio the next library the next uh, perch for these free birds thank you so much <laughs> thank you so much Rick so good to talk to you Wonderful. All right. My regards. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, you guys. God, it's such a treat to talk to Rick. Uh, you know, he's he's been on the road. They've been doing this, this uh, thing with the RV, and I'm super jealous. Uh, it's exactly what I would like to be doing um, today, as a matter of fact. That would be fabulous. Uh, and I'm super jealous of, of anybody who is uh, – got jacket wearing weather right now oh my gosh it is finally uh starting to feel a little bit less oppressive here in florida so that's good um i don't want to finish up with this one article though uh, this this one from from Truth Out because I know there's a lot of really good stuff in here and the person who's doing the interviewing is Patrick Farnsworth, uh, who uh, is the host of Last Born in the Wilderness, a weekly released podcast that covers such broad topics as anthropogenic climate change, radical political theory and praxis, animism, psychedelics, and current events. That sounds like my kind of thing. Um, so he's talking to Jamal. All right, I want to get his name right because I have mispronounced it in the past. Um, Dar Jamal. Jamal. Dar Jamal. Uh, and I'm pretty sure I follow him on Twitter. I've, I've read a ton of his stuff. This 
interview is so heartfelt. It really feels like the interviewer got to a place with his interviewee where some real magic was happening. And uh, he says, uh, this is um, Jamal, Jamal talking. He says, in Iraq, it was a common tactic, what you're seeing now in the United States with uh, the pickup trucks, the big oversized pickup trucks with a giant American flag in the back or Trump flying Trump flags in the back. You see these all the time uh, harassing people who are protesting and so on and so forth. He says, in Iraq, this was a common tactic, just as the United States military would run patrols all around Baghdad and other cities, letting people be aware that you are under occupation and we are the ones in control now. I mean, dig that. You know, when you see these these, these videos uh, of protests and you see these guys running around with these trucks, they are doing that for a particular reason. And, uh, you know, it's, it's not too much of a leap to imagine that a lot of these guys have been to Iraq and Afghanistan, uh, you know, who are, are, are veterans. Uh, there's been a dramatic increase in the number of these people driving around on the roads, especially in the, the small town where I live, which is largely progressive politically. And that's by not, that's not by accident. That's by design. I saw the same stuff in Iraq. Certain militias were aligned with the government over there. For example, when the U S did away with Saddam and his minority Sunni government, uh, within a year and a half, prime minister Nouri al-Maliki was installed into power. Um, Shia aligned and Shia militias were starting to take over in the aftermath of the siege on Fallujah, the Iraqi government came with an Iranian backed Shia militia and the Iraqi military into Fallujah, a staunch Sunni, very conservative city. They brought them in to do the dirty cleanup and subjugate the Sunni population there. Uh, What we're seeing here, he says, is kind of akin to what was going on there, where we see far-right white nationalist militias responding to these Trump dog whistles, doing things like driving vehicles through Black Lives Matter demonstrations and protests, or just sometimes blatantly opening fire on them. We're seeing within just the last week an increase in these incidences. Uh, This was happening abroad. The U.S. was supporting it directly and indirectly within the Iraqi government in their use of various militias to put down parts of the population that were not in alignment and supportive of the government. That's that's kind of the important part there. They're forcing people to be... uh, They're forcing support from people, in other words. Um, Now we see Trump employ, um, not with him in the administration, the same tactics here. He's, uh, let's blow the dog whistle. Let's tweet out another white power tweet, as Trump did last Sunday. Um, It doesn't matter that he takes his messages down. Once the message is sent, it's sent. He just keeps showing, uh, showing his staunch core supporters of his base. He says, I'm with you. I've got your back. Keep supporting me. And they will keep supporting him. Um, And they keep doing this by going out to demonstrations and disrupting them and causing them to be more dangerous for anyone engaged in them. That's the message, that if you go to these 
protest, if if you participate in this, that it's going to be dangerous for you. They, they, they are going to make you pay consequences. This is this is the, the tension that they're trying to build. Um, the interview goes on, and this is really interesting. So what all this boils down to is that it's critical that people in this country understand where we are and what we're seeing, that the veil has completely dropped at this point, that this never really has been a democracy, but we're even less so now. We have to accept that even the illusion of democracy or that there's a real opportunity in this country for it, is absolutely gone. It's never really been there, but the illusion of it is gone now. And he says, are we going to accept that we have a government that is out to get us? Are we going to accept that their response to a global pandemic is that they want people to die? They want people of color to die? They want people that are not rich to die. Oh, that's a big one. Um, don't, don't go by what they're saying. Just look at what they're doing. Illusions made it comfortable for a lot of us to live in this country. And I think that there was an opportunity. And I think that there was opportunity and freedom. So he's saying that there's opportunity and freedom if you drop the veil of illusion and uh, really face up to what's going on around us right now. All right. Uh, taking a really short break and I'll be right back with Janine Malas. Janine. Hey Brooke. Looks like I'm <laughs> piggybacking on what you were gonna be what you had been talking about this week. Super um, well and you know there's so much abuse and so little time to cover it all. So right. I'm calling this how Attorney General Bill Barr is once again hijacking legitimate rule of law by politicizing DOJ. So it's no small secret by now that Attorney General Bill Barr really doesn't like democracy very much. Now, the only time he likes democratic rules is it basically only benefits white Christian males, period. That's my opinion, and I'm entitled to it. In fact, he seems to really view popular democracy with the same contempt society legitimate people would aim at pedophiles. So I'm looking at the Levin report from Vanity Fair, I believe it was, and, you know, basically it's the title is Bill Barr wants protesters charged with trying to overthrow the U.S. government by Beth Levin. And so... You know, this all has to do with the fact that Bill Barr had a, a well-publicized phone call leaked out with nation's prosecutors all over the country, as well as DOJ, and he said, look, with these protesters, if they commit a violent act, or maybe they didn't, I want you to start looking to see if you can charge them with sedition. And even if, it's, even if there are state laws that cover what they might have done, I still want you to do this. Now, 
most people think of sedition as basically anything where you criticize the government and you can be arrested. Kind of like what happened before the United States existed. And King, you know, if you criticize King George, you'd find yourself, you know, on the end of a rope hanging from a tree. Um, but sedition is more than that these days through a series of Supreme Court decisions. So that when they're really call, when they're really going to charge them with sedition, what they're really doing is accusing them of treason. And that is something altogether different. This isn't just about silencing dissent. This is about discrediting any legitimate dissent, no matter where it came from. So, and, and Yves Levin, you know, wrote that, you know, Trump has a lot of servile employees, but Bill Barr is the most dangerous. And I agree with her. And it's because, let's face it, Bill Barr knows how to get the job done. Put bluntly, Bill Barr has a history of trampling uh, basically human rights that are supposed to be protected under our Bill of Rights, and it dates back a couple of administrations, which I'll be talking about in a little bit. So basically, you know, the AG, there's not much that he won't do to help Trump basically have a presidential dictatorship. And, you know, Beth Levin's saying, that, you know, basically Barr sees himself as not only Trump's personal lawyer, but in the mold of Roy Cohn, who... You know, keep in mind, Roy Cohn was a mob attorney. He worked for the mafia, but that's another thing. So, you know, Barr spent time, according to Beth Levin, discrediting the Mueller investigation. Um, he's been involving the DOJ in the, the push to basically keep Trump's tax return secret. He's been, according to Vanity Fair, um, they say, quote, running cover, for Trump is he trying to extort Ukraine? Um, you know, according to Beth Levin, he's been and Vanity Fair Barr's been interceding to change the sentencing recommendation for Roger Stone, and and it goes on and on and on. Here's let's get to the sedition charges. Wall Street Journal, not exactly a bastion of liberalism, okay? Hardly. Wall Street Journal um, reported. That Barr basically, it was the, the headline was Barr tells prosecutors to consider charging violent protesters with sedition. Period. Okay? And basically, including, quote, potentially prosecuting protesters for plotting to overthrow the U.S. government. And that was from leaked conversations with people that were involved in the conversation. And this was during a conference call with U.S. attorneys last week. And, you know, he was. He basically encouraged the attorneys to quote seek a number of federal charges, including a, under a rarely used sedition law, even when state charges could apply. Again, this isn't merely about silencing dissent. This is about discrediting it and painting anybody who dares to disagree with, you know, His Majesty the Trump, calling them out as traitors. There's there's nothing subtle about any of this. And, you know, there were apparently two of the people on the call said that Barr listed a number of other statutes they could use, including one, quote, addressing conspiracies or plots to overthrow the government, end quote. Uh, and, you know, legal experts say that can be difficult to prove in, in court, but I don't think that's really the goal here. Most people, if they're lower income or middle income, can't really afford to lawyer up big time like Trump does. So if they find themselves on the receiving end of a criminal indictment for sedition, 
it's going to be an, it's going to have a, a a terrorizing effect, so that people that might want to participate in legitimate protest won't. That's the real goal here, and and Barr knows it. So you know, and here's the thing: to bring a sedition case, given the law, prosecutors would have to prove that there was actually a conspiracy to either attack officials of the government or government agents, and it would have to pose what's legally considered an imminent danger, like right here, right now. And it was explained a little further by Jenny Carroll, who's a University of Alabama law professor. She was quoted saying, quote, there's all these different statutes the government can use if they're worried about things like property damage. Okay, and Jenny Carroll also said that, you know, statutes like sedition really are just escalating the government's efforts to quell the violence. Um, she went on to say, quote, if you start charging those people, even if you don't get a conviction, it may make people think twice for going out to exercise their right to free speech, end quote. I'll go further than Professor Carroll and say the intent by A.G. Barr, in my opinion, is to terrorize the public so that they don't dare speak up. And, and that's the point. Bill Barr intends to Ill- illegally and illegitimately erode the First Amendment by ordering prosecutors to pursue sedition charges, which, as I said before, basically equates constitutionally protected dissent with treason. Again, as I said before, he knows the average person can't lawyer up indefinitely, and this order of his has turned the entire nation into the legal equivalent of a sundown town. Dare to use your free speech rights, and risk 20 years in prison at a minimum, because that's actually the penalty for if you're found guilty. You can get 20 years in jail plus fine. Now, if the sedition charge goes further, you know, you could also be charged with treason, and that's basically a capital offense. Okay, this is basically saying, don't you dare look up. Barr's already laid the groundwork by slandering Antifa, the Antifa philosophy as well as Black Lives Matter, He's He's really been pushing the Antifa lately as a movement that wants to overthrow the country. Keep in mind, Barr doesn't have any evidence. And the fact that Antifa isn't actually a movement, it is a philosophy, but he continues to slander and defame in a wholesale manner, and he, just as he does with Black Lives Matter. And so there was an NBC News interview, and Barr was quoted, quote, no question, Antifa is a movement. They have websites. They are organized. Anyone who has spent a moment of these, at these things and heard their chants and what they're calling for can see right away that they are. They say they are revolutionaries, that this is a revolution, end quote. Okay. None of this should shock us. It's coming from Bill Barr. Bill Barr, when we get back into his, his career, he has a long history of abusing human rights. And this is according to the ACLU. And there was a... Um, a report written by Minar Wahid, who at the time, in 2019, was a senior legislator of an advocacy council at ACLU, and Brian Tashman, who was at that time the political researcher and strategist at ACLU. And this was, they put an update, this was, this was written apparently right before Bill Barr was confirmed to be the next AG. And basically what they saw is that Barr has a long record of stomping on human rights, starting with the George H.W. Bush administration, that's W's daddy. Um, he defended discriminatory racial profiling. Um, he defended in the lead up to the Persian Gulf War, where the FBI um, illegitimately questioned hundreds of Arab Americans. You know, you can see 
specters of how Japanese Americans were abused and then interred illegally. Um, and once again, the FBI, according to the Washington Post, the FBI claimed the interviews were to solicit information about possible terrorism. Barr then was serving as a deputy Atter- attorney general at the time, and he defended the FBI. Uh, and he claimed, quote, to solicit information about potential terrorist activity and to request the future assistance of these individuals, okay? Community activists saying the FBI was singling them out, questioning their loyalty because, you know, they were Muslim, because their ide- identity. Um, some of these same people that were profiled that way were asked about their political views, their travel plans, if they knew any terrorists. And again, this was all based on national origin, not on any evidence, okay? Right there. Should have been enough to just bar William Barr. So, you know, and again, it was ineffective, all right, but that didn't matter. Bill Barr, at that time during Bush Sr., he supported secret military trials. Um, right after the 1988 Lockerbie bombings, Barr floated uh, in Newsweek, Newsweek reported then, that Barr um, pushed the idea of a president convening secret military tribunals to try people accused of involvement of terrorist activities. But again, you know, military tribunal really isn't a court of law. It, it is a mockery of a court. He also revived the idea of secret military trials after 9-11. He testified in support of W's decision to order them without congressional authorization. Again, that was in that memorandum that um, the ACLU published. Barr told... Um, According to GovInfo.com, I'm sorry, GovInfo.gov, he told the sense the president has the power to order such trials, quote, as long as he cites national defense interests. We've talked about Bill Barr on this show before. You know, his idea of a unitary executive goes far beyond that. He really believes in an elected monarch, okay, and everybody else is supposed to be subservient. Um, you know, I despise Donald Trump, but if I were Donald Trump, I'd be very suspicious of Bill Barr, okay, because... I think he sees himself, in my opinion, as the puppet master, but that's my opinion. So Barr also went on to say that, quote, no war need be declared for this power to come into being. So president doesn't need a war to push for military tribunals with all their injustice. And he also claimed that, quote, there's no geographical limit, quote, end quote, for the president to use those powers. You know, he also said that anyone who was declared a foreign adversary, quote, is not entitled to constitutional protections, end quote. You know, in the Bill of Rights, the Constitution, it speaks about these rights are extended to all persons, not to citizens, not to foreign adversaries. It doesn't matter what your political status is, the person, you know, you have human DNA. But recently, Barr's um, really just has pointed out that he thinks the president should have virtually unchecked security powers. Um, you know, Barr said, quote, the real threat to domestic liberties is the artificial restriction of our powers of national defense by gratuitously expanding constitutional guarantees beyond their intended office. He, end quote, he, he, he supported back then endorsing detention and denying rights, okay? During the George H.W. Bush era, he endorsed uh, when the administration used Gitmo to detain Haitians at the time that were trying to seek asylum here in the U.S. They were denied access to legal advice during their asylum hearings, uh, and that was according to scholarshiplawunc.edu. 
And a federal judge, according to the Washington Post, uh, rebuked the government as they were basically indefinitely detaining Haitians and denying them legal counsel. Again, this was during George Bush Sr. The Trump administration just goes on and on and on. So Bill Barr's attacks on our First Amendment rights should be considered as typical Bill Barr doctrine. Now he's become so emboldened that he's threatening DOJ arrests of duly elected mayors who refuse to obey the Trump abuses. And he's beginning with the mayor of Seattle. And no, this is not a joke. CNN reported the Seattle mayor says Barr's suggestions to charge her are chilling. And it was an article written by Dan Berman and Paul LeBlanc, September 17th. Um, you know, Seattle Mayor Jenny Durkin uh, was quoted on Wednesday. She said a report that um, Bill Barr suggested prosecutors consider filing charges against her, as reported, again, by CNN, the politics section, is, quote, chilling and the latest abuse of power from the Trump administration, end quote. Um, and basically, the New York Times reported RS uh, prosecutors in the in DOJ Civil Rights Division to see if they could charge Durkin as a result of how she handled the protest this summer when there were some protesters they established what they called the police free zone in downtown Seattle. Mayor Durkin explained, quote, the Department of Justice cannot become a political weapon operated at the behest of the president to target those who've spoken out against this administration's actions. End quote. This is an act of tyranny, not of democracy. End quote. Keep in mind, Durkin, Jenny Durkin, is a former U.S. attorney. She knows the law, and she knows what DOJ is supposed to be doing. Jenny Durkin was quoted further saying, ultimately, this is not a story about me. It is about how this president and his attorney general are willing to subvert the law and use the Department of Justice for political purposes. It is particularly egregious to try to use the civil rights laws to investigate, intimidate, or deter those that are fighting for civil rights in our, in our country, end quote. So Durkin and the Trump administration have clashed repeatedly now regarding how, you know, protesters would be handled if they camped out in this area. And this was, again, reported by CNN. Um, and, and basically, they had a little camp out by the Seattle Police's East Precinct building, okay? And the protesters called it the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone. And Durkin said she would not accept federal troops to move the protesters out, um, even though Trump was threatening her, I suppose, almost daily. Um, to quote Durkin, she said, quote, the threat is to invade Seattle, to divide and incite violence in our city. It's not only unwelcome, it would be illegal, end quote. And she you know, said that most of the protests that were in Seattle were, were lawful. Um, now, Seattle police did finally send the uh, protesters packing um, after Durkin issued an emergency order. Okay. The idea that DOJ, which basically is acting as a lapdog for the president, like the president's personal lawyer instead of the country's lawyer, filing charges against a duly elected mayor because she would not, and I'm going to say it, she would not kiss the ring, and I know that's a mafioso reference, she would not kiss the ring of Donald Trump and Bill Barr because what they're doing is illegitimate. All the while, Barr keeps saying he's law and order. So we've got this going on, and you think, okay, this is just this one time, right? Wrong. That wasn't. So Bill Barr did the same thing a month earlier in Kansas City this, this August. 
okay? Um, he told prosecutors in Kansas City, Missouri, to explore the idea of very aggressive charges against people that were arrested at recent demonstrations. Again, suggested using the sedition charge. Um, and again, this is according to multiple reports uh, that the New York Times actually documented. Um, you know, again, the Wall Street Journal told us, you know, this is about this big call to different prosecutors to use this this charge of, you know, sedition, which has no legitimacy. And you have to remember something. Sedition, it, it, it's the way after a series of Supreme Court decisions, you know, their first sedition was you say something bad against President John Adams, you're going to go to jail. Well, after a series of Supreme Court decisions, it's been whittled down. The sedition charge now does require proof that a person, as I said before, poses an imminent danger, meaning right here, right now. So that means that the very charge of sedition used in the way Bill Barr wants to use to silence dissent isn't just irrelevant, it's illegitimate. We have charges that can be brought against violent people, whether the violence is against property or people, so why sedition? Okay, well, it's easy. Sedition, again, is a way of calling out dissenters as traitors. The cheap shot at legitimate dissent when the attorney general has no case, bottom line. Even the ABA Journal, they went over this uh, again. There's too much to go over in this amount of time, truth be told. Um, so I'm going to skip ahead. You know, we know as early as 2017, Donald Trump wanted to see if basically reporters could be arrested and charged criminally for criticizing a president. It's ridiculous, all right? So it's not just Bill Barr. He's the lead cheerleader for this. But we have another, we have a nutcase with Mike, Michael Caputo. He's the top communications official at the Department of Health and Human Services. And he's pushing for the same sedition charges, but this time against CDC scientists. They refuse to have their data and analysis of COVID censored by Cavuto himself, who is a, nothing more than a political hack with zero scientific or medical training, okay? This does, it just gets crazier and crazier. And, and so we look at freedom of expression. You know, we know that in the earlier age when sedition charges were more plentiful, especially with the Sedition Espionage Act in the early 1900s, um, their seditious or subversive speech could land you in jail. Okay, Eugene Debs, who was anti-war, you know, basically wound up paying that price, you know. And, you know, he was against entering World War One, and he just told workers to realize, quote, that they were fit for something better than slavery and cannon fodder, end quote. So this is something where the powers that be need to have this, this particular charge, okay. They, these are people that really despise democracy. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. So I'm going to go into conclusion, and I'm going to have something to say about my own U.S. senator and the passing of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. So in conclusion, it is painfully clear this attorney general is working feverishly to equate dissent, dissent historically considered as protected First Amendment activity, as treason. Bill Barr's behavior on this issue is 
uh, on this issue of seditious speech is another dark chapter in our spotted history, and yet this isn't an isolated incident. Neither is the use of weapons of torture, on, for instance, on nonviolent protests such as the former Occupy, which was during Obama's watch. I was there. I recall seeing both the active denial system and the long-range acoustic device up close and personal, standing right in front of them. I recall the police being just as brutal as they were during Ferguson, except they just didn't rough up reporters like they did during Ferguson. Both parties, Democrats and Republicans, have a sullied history regarding protecting the human rights mandated in the Bill of Rights. Bill Barr and Donald Trump are the logical endgame that they couldn't have created this much damage if the former Obama administration had held both prosecutors and police accountable, as well as George W. Bush accountable. At the end of the day, let's face it, Trump is able to do this because white Americans love their Disney-fied mythologies, where D.C. is the shining city on the hill, except that shine is rusted with the corrosion of racism and fascism. We have a constitutional system that was the first democratic experiment since ancient Greece. The Constitution itself is a flawed document and ensured what one philosopher termed the, quote, that dictatorship of the minority, end quote, due to the electoral college. The instrument that grants low population states more power than those with sizable populations. Due to, illegitimate electoral co- due to the illegitimate electoral college, we have suffered under what is, my, in my opinion, a neo-Nazi in the Oval Office. As Attorney General Bill Barr has actively pursued the criminalization of dissent. One of our most cherished rights, free speech, is in mortal jeopardy due to Bill Barr's twisted idea of a unitary executive or an elected monarch. It is at this time that the legal profession must hold Bill Barr accountable and initiate permanent disbarment procedures against him. Furthermore, the legal profession must begin to criminally prosecute police who violate our human rights. Finally, the Democratic Party must join the fight as opposed to cowering in the shadows as they wait to see which way the political winds blow. Our human rights are what is the state. Now, that's my report there. And what I'm going to do now is I'm going to take a few minutes and talk about my, un- my unfortunate U.S. Senator Roy Blunt, who is, I believe, number four in the national GOP leadership. Just this past weekend, as we began Rosh Hashanah, Art Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed away. She was one of ours. And even though she hasn't even been buried yet, Mitch McConnell is planning to hold hearings to replace her. Now, my own U.S. Senator, Roy Blunt, has backed Mitch McConnell on this. No surprise there. Uh, but his hypocrisy is beyond the pale. You know, he says, he basically said that because we don't know what's going to happen with the election, and, be, and he mentioned the um, not just irregularities, but the fraud of mail-in voting. He went there. We have to have a fully staffed Supreme Court to make the decision. Now, keep in mind, in 2016, they said, oh, no, no, we've got, and uh, Roy Blunt says, you know, 2016, we had both houses of Congress and you know what? We can wait a year because we're, we're after, you know a year until after we get a new president. We're not going to let Obama appoint anybody. Now that was a year. We have a matter of weeks now, and because the House is controlled by the Democrats, and they don't know which way it's going to it's going to blow with any of these elections, they want to make sure that they have not just a conservative, 
but an ideological flunky that will hand Trump the election. That's what it boils down to. And, you know, before he was really in the news a lot, Roy Blunt used to be heralded as this, this Republican moderate, not a bad guy, because he's, he's quiet, you know. He doesn't really talk much. You know what? In my opinion, Roy Blunt is every bit as vile as Bill Barr and Donald Trump. And every single one of these people should and must be held accountable. One of the reasons where they're so bold these days is because in 07, 08, when Barack Obama got into office, he refused to hold George W. Bush accountable for crimes against humanity. We cannot allow that anymore. We just can't. And people, I've seen a lot of people, they're, they're very upset that RBG has passed and they're very, um, and they're panicking. We don't need panic. We need to do what the notorious RBG would have wanted us to do. Organize, get our facts together, get our logic together, stick together, and fight. And that's what we have to do. And that's my report. Wow, and I couldn't agree more on <clears throat> what you landed on there. <clears throat> Sorry, that is exactly what okay. um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg would would say. And uh, and wow, what a what a bunch of absolutely horrible people. We got to get them. We got to get them out. We have to get them out. We have to realize though this didn't happen overnight. Before mm-hmm. the bigotry and the hatred was in code, dog whistle code, but it was always there. And we have to fight that. We have to, even if it means doing what the old timers did, and if there's somebody who holds these bigoted ideas, friend or family, they are dead to you. You walk away. You cannot let them just get away with it and know there's no consequence for being purveyors of hate. That's right. Absolutely. All right, Janine, thank you so much. We'll talk to you again next week. Oh, yes. I'm going to be pre-recording that one. Have a good one. That's right. That's right. All right. Okay. Happy New Year. Okay. You're welcome. Okay. All right, you guys. Thanks for sticking around for the whole show. Uh, I apologize for being uh, word-findy, weird. Uh, It happens sometimes with a migraine brain. Uh, I hope I didn't bore you guys to tears or, or lead you astray or anything. Um, uh, yeah. Words, words get weird sometimes when you have, when you've got a, a migraine, which I do. So with that, Oh my gosh, so much stuff that we've talked about again. I apologize to the caller who I didn't get to. Uh, I just didn't start taking calls and, and he was already gone. But uh, for the rest of you, you're super amazing and uh, super cool. And that makes me want to hear this song. So uh, we'll see you guys next week.